Welcome back to another episode of the General Assembly, your favorite House Republican podcast. My name is Jason Gottesman, uh, joined by Representative Jesse Topper. Good to be back. Uh, Mike Straub is out this week. And look, right off the bat, I just want to let everybody know this uh, was being taped before the budget address. We'll do another one here that we'll release later in the week that'll get more this in the This is pregame. We're pregaming yeah, pre-gaming a little bit today. Uh, well, and I pregame before I got here. Somebody asked me about what was it like being in the minority caucus room, and I said it it was kind, you know, kind of dark, smaller, but it also had animal crackers, which was, <laughs> I don't remember from the majority caucus room. But I, I think that you know we're, the House is split. The House is divided. And even though there's a minority and majority party, of course, as there always is, it really comes down to sometimes geography. And what people need to understand about, about Pennsylvania politics specifically is that sometimes you could have, almost even as a Republican, more in common with a Western Democrat, say, if you're from the West, than an Eastern Republican. A lot of it does break down uh, geographically as well. Once you get past things like the House rules and, and stuff that we've been dealing with the past couple weeks, a lot of it's going to come down to issues that affect regions and, and geographical concerns. And I still hold out hope, and, and I don't think I'm being naive. I hold out hope that uh, we will be able to uh, to still advance uh, certain priorities that, that our caucus has, uh, has laid out, even if it's not all of them certainly uh, being in the minority and having a governor from the other party. But we're used to that, right? We've had that for eight years, and I think we've we've learned how to, uh, to work with the other side when we need to, and we've learned how to be the opposition party when we need to stand up and say, no, look, this is not going to work. I think back to all those wolf budgets. You remember the impossible Whopper budget? Remember yeah. the, the first budget, which was the largest tax increase in the history of the Commonwealth? And hopefully we will not have to see that under under Governor Shapiro's uh, spending plan. Well, I was reflecting today while I was writing some remarks for uh, budget stuff, uh, you know, tomorrow, and when, when we'll hear what the governor has to say uh, in more detail, about how Republicans have ha- had to learn to lead with Democrats, with a Democrat in power. Democrats have never had to lead while working with Republicans, and they'll have to now in the Senate. And I was watching an interview this weekend with um, Senate Pro Tem Kim Ward, and you know she basically said with the way that the, the government's divided, you're not going to see things that are too far left or too far right. You're going to see things straight down the middle. And I think that might be true to a certain extent. Maybe the stuff that lands on Governor Shapiro's desk might be that way. But look, we're going to have to face some really partisan things in each chamber, things that are, because Democrats are going to want to come in and and lead with their priorities. Partisan ideas, right? Right. We're we're going to deal with some partisan ideas because they, and and those who have the new members of that Democratic Party that are very progressive are going to come out with an idea that, hey, look, this is what we want to get done, and this is what we told, you know, people when we were running for office, that we were going to have uh, you know, restricting Second Amendment rights, that we're going to have, you know, abortion on demand wherever, whenever, at any time. And, of course, those things are radical on the cultural side. And then if on, on, the, on the fiscal side, the radical idea of we're going to have shared wealth, we're going to have more taxes, we're going to all of these things, they're going to bring those ideas up. Will they get done? No, because it actually takes votes to get those things done. But you will see those ideas, and, and that's where we need to, to have a very clear, crisp agenda on the other side and say, government is not the answer. And you're right. We, we don't live in Arkansas. We don't live in Mississippi. We don't live, live in Texas where there's one-party conservative rule. We do live in a very it's purple also way state. It's hot down there. And we have to – well, it's not – yeah, it's not too hot here. Although <laughs> I think the groundhog might have been wrong because we've yeah. had some pretty nice well, weather lately. So it happens when you leave so, your weather predictions to a, to a, to groundhog. a, to a groundhog. So many, <laughs> so many thoughts. But, I, look, I think in Pennsylvania we have – 
we, we just need to be very clear in our message that government isn't the answer to the world's problems. We need to be partners. We don't need to be overstepping. We saw what happened during COVID. Get back to get back to our roots, the message that we know resonates with people, which is limited government, fiscal accountability, and I think we'll be able to, to win on that. Yeah, and I think that's all, all about, about what we're, we're going to be talking about here in terms of the budget, is ways in which we can you know, I know we make this analogy all the time, but I think it's ever more present as we look at record inflation um, and higher energy prices that as, you know, Pennsylvanians are uh, trying to tighten their budgets so that they can uh, afford the, the basic necessities of life, turning on the lights in their home, heating their houses, uh, starting their cars, uh, affording groceries, which are uh, just ridiculous uh, right now. The price of groceries is just insane. Um, you know, government shouldn't be looking at increasing its spending, which is done on the backs of taxpayers. Um, Look, and what you just said, these are these are fixable issues. The rising energy costs, the skyrocketing energy costs, we have the ability to fix that here in Pennsylvania with good public policy right. that doesn't bow to the extreme environmental groups, that actually creates jobs, that brings on traditional, even Democratic stakeholders like labor unions to be able to say, no, we're, gonna, we're going to create jobs, good, family-sustaining manufacturing jobs, and at the same time produce more energy, which at the same time reduces costs. Why can't we do that? Because unfortunately, there are progressives that are beholden to far-left radical environmental groups and that is why we're stuck so we can fix these things we just need to have the will to do it and we can fix them in a bipartisan way so let me break this down for a second you're saying that there are people out there and we want to attribute a political party to them who (laughs) believe that creating more jobs while at the same time lowering prices is a bad thing that's right yeah because there could be some kind of you know, spotted worm in the in some creek somewhere that is somehow displaced. And no, it's not a hellbender. <laughs> we know about that. And and this is I've said this so many times. I come from a strong agriculture rural area. And you know who are some of the the best environmentalists out there? Those who actually work in the fields. Those who hunt in those lands. They want. They want the best environment that we can have. And they are willing to take care of it. Uh, but they also want the freedom to live their lives, and, and we yeah, need to balance yeah, that. You can be a conservationist without Absolutely. being a uh, without being a super partisan. But right. It's, and, it's radicalism. I mean, right. I mean, these the environmentalists that have that radical nature are truly trying to economically punish the working people. I mean, that, yep. that's what it's about. I mean, it's the new form of far-left socialism. That's how they're able to get taxes, you know, with the carbon tax and all of those, the rain tax. It's how they're able to implement so many new things under the guise of conservation, but it's not. It's really just very bad, poor, always failing fiscal policy, and we have to present the other alternative. And I, I love the fact that the Senate has come out, and I know our caucus has come out and said, we can lower energy costs, and the priority should be lowering energy costs and and stopping inflation because that's what's hitting families the hardest right now in Pennsylvania and all over the country. And and that's the message that we have to to make clear. Yeah, and I know we've talked about this as well, but, you know, looking forward, there's a couple more things that I think we want to stand for. One is um, that we've talked about before, that transformational change in education, looking from a top to bottom uh, rebuild of our education system, but also a continued focus on public safety because that issue uh, continues to be paramount in everybody's mind is the safety of our streets, the safety of our neighborhoods, you know, the uh, an ability to have a community that wants to attract businesses, create more jobs, and be sustainable 
needs to rely. Nobody wants to build a a uh, factory or uh, invest in a neighborhood where nobody's going to be safe living there. If we don't get, and I, I'm not an alarmist, I'm not somebody who speaks with a lot of hyperbole, but I will say this: if we do not get the crime under control in our in our cities, particularly in Philadelphia, you will continue to see we won't be able to fix the educational system because there won't be one left. We won't be able to fix the economy because there won't be one left. And we're talking about a city that brings in, you look at the ports, you look at the the travel, the, the trade that comes in through Philadelphia, it is truly a keystone to our keystone state, and and the people of Philadelphia have to, and they have an opportunity here in, in, in over the next year to try and get that under control and make sure uh, that they're also implementing pu- public policy at the local level that encourages, and I, I was working with um, Jared Solomon on a bill to, to recruit uh, retired police back into the force. Uh, instead of trying to chase every all of them off, we need yep. more police on the streets. We need laws that they can enforce. And I know that there are Philadelphians of both stripes politically that are willing to step up and say, "Yes, we will do this." And they need to become the majority and in a hurry because uh, it is. It's it's something you know. If if public safety isn't one of the things that we should be looking at, then I don't know why we're here. All right. Well, let's take a, a look back now. Uh, you know, last week Representative McClinton, Joanna McClinton, was elected speaker. And uh, we finally were able to pass some. Well, we 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 didn't really have much to do with that. But the the House passed some rules, and uh, we've been able to organize and start moving forward as a chamber. You know, look, I don't want to get delved too deeply into these rules, but uh, I thought it was interesting that our representatives on Speaker Rossi's listening, former Speaker Rossi now is listening to her, all voted against the so-called Rossi rules, which are supposed to increase minority power. Um, give people a greater say, and that's not anything that was accomplished here. Look, this uh, the rules and things like that, they're inside baseball. We talk about the issues that families are concerned yep, about, 100%. right? And, and, and this is not it. And the fact that we spent multiple weeks fighting over these and the majority party wanting to flex their muscles, and that's fine, but let me tell you something. Flexing your political muscles in the House of Representatives isn't making the cost of food any better for families. You know, flexing your political muscles over the rules and the House of Representatives is not fixing the problem of the crime expanding on our streets. And flexing your muscles um, on, the, on the House of Representatives of the majority party is not making sure that our kids have the thorough and efficient education that they need to have. So uh, I hope that posturing is done. I hope we're ready to get on with the business of governing because these are real problems that affect real people and real families, and they need real solutions in a hurry. Uh, I really couldn't say it any better. <laughs> oh, wow. Congratulations. Well, you left well, me speechless. Then. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about your golf game then, Jason. How's uh, it, uh, my golf get, game for my first time out uh, was yesterday. And, it, it, you know, the driving range where I golf is not open yet. So okay. it's all on the golf course. And it was, uh, I would say, a pretty typical start to the golf, the golf season. It was ugly. The first couple of holes got slightly better as we went along. You, you know, just some of this, the normal stupid mistakes you make on a golf course um you know the first two holes you had trouble actually hitting it in the air and getting it consistent and then finally when you get it in the air aiming in the right direction and then um then the short game obviously takes a while well well josh my my son who's the golfer we talk about about him in terms of golf a good bit he he was uh on 
uh, a simulator the other day. He said, "Come on, Dad, let's let's have a closest to the pin contest here on the simulator." And yeah. that did not go well for Dad. <laughs> um, you know, he said it. I think it was like 122 yards. I think I missed the green five out of six times <laughs> from that distance. So I don't think my games in midseason form. He was throwing darts up there, and uh, you know, of course, Jonah, my other son's getting ready for for his baseball season, and and the weather being nice kind of has people outside doing a little more. And yeah, it's uh, it's an exciting time, and um, I'm I'm ready to get on here with spring sports and spring training. Yeah, baseball's back. Baseball's back. We got the new rules, the pitch clock, which man, I love. Love the pitch clock. And of all the rules, oh, of all the rules, we could have put in on the house floor. Right? Yeah. Like, could we have a pitch clock? <laughs> Stuff that people have to speak with well, a certain amount of time. Unfortunately, it takes a lot of a lot of years in politics, but we have finally gotten rid of the shift. Nobody <laughs> can go towards the center in politics <laughs> anymore. Well, listen, that's outstanding. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so we've gotten rid of the shift, and we have no no pitch clock though. But <laughs> I I would like I love it. I love it. I, I think it's going to make look. We any of us who have been going to minor league baseball for the past couple of years. I think it's worked well. Um, I enjoy I enjoy it. I think it does keep the the game. I think the average spring training games down twenty three minutes. So you're working towards you know what I th- what people want to see, which is action in baseball. Yeah. You know we don't need to see a guy putting his batting gloves on five different times in five different ways, uh, and a pitcher walking around complaining about you know the umpire's last call for two minutes. Let's get up. Let's get ready to rock and roll. Yeah, and you know I, I you know you're much more, more well versed in baseball than I am, but I was posing this to a friend of mine last week. Which is, I wonder if this will, the new pitch clock, will result in veteran pitchers who have been in the major leagues for a long time, even to the quality of a pitcher like Justin Verlander or, you know, they are used to being able to have their own pace and set the, set, mess with batters by delay and here's, whatever. Here's why I think, so your your best pitchers historically, the yeah. Greg Maddox, the Tommy Glavins, the quick uh, pitchers John anyway. Smoltz, and I'm thinking of all those Braves from the 90s, you know, who yeah. are so great. But all, you know, Nolan Ryan. You, Sorry you to drink out of my Phillies right, right, here. Right, right. <laughs> Listen, they, they. They pitched quickly, right. and Verlander's quick pitcher. And look what Scherzer did the other day, where he actually tried to use it to his advantage to kind of work back and forth and look at manipulate the pitch clock as to when he would get in a set position and go. Trust me, the best pitchers they're fine with it. Uh, they want it. They 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 crave it. It'll really be interesting. Will be on the hitters who actually like to slow those pitchers down. Yeah. You know, I I think we'll see. I think we'll see advantage pitcher in that situation. Well. So, so my my thought was, I wonder if you might see somebody who's maybe been in the minors for a year or two, who's gotten used to this already, excelling at, at a quicker pace than maybe a veteran reliever or somebody who doesn't get to pitch as much. Or again, I think it's reversed though. I think you're going to see the hitters coming up from the minor leagues who are used to it. Yeah, I think I think the, honestly, it's your Joey Votto's of the world, right? It's some of your veteran hitters that I think are going to have struggle with this more than the pitchers, whereas maybe you will see a little bit of an advantage of some of those minor league guys coming up uh, in their lineup, and that's where I think it'll work. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Look, I don't care how long it takes you to get in the batting box, hitting a 98-mile-an-hour fastball is the toughest thing to do in sports, so yeah. good luck to all of them. That's why I quit baseball and I play a ball. I play a sport where the ball sits very <laughs> so still. still. <laughs> and that's still tough. That's yeah, still very, tough enough for us, yeah, right? Very, very uh, no, it's, so. But it's exciting. It, it's spring, spring's coming out. Uh, it, it just feels... You know, it feels as you're getting ready for baseball and, and track and field and, and softball and some of these spring sports. I don't know. It's always a – I think this is a, a, a great time of year. 
Oh, um, it's, it's the best. It's the best time. This and early fall are yep, like, I agree. like my my yeah. favorite. Yeah, times. Those transition into spring and fall seasons. Yeah, uh, kind of after the long winters and the long summers. Uh, one of the things I've always liked when people, you know, I'm sure you get this question. I'm sure Chuck's gotten this question too. Hey, where do you want to? You know, where do you want to retire? Right, someplace warm, someplace cold. Where do you want to? The one thing I've always loved, and this is a little maybe maybe Representative Oberlander, Chair, Chairwoman Oberlander, can use this on her tourism committee. One thing I've always loved about Pennsylvania, I love the four seasons. Yeah. I love ha- I love living in a place where we get to experience you know winter. Wish it could be a little shorter, maybe sometimes, but we get to experience winter. You get to experience a true spring, a true true summer, and a true fall. I think that's one of the blessings about living in a place like Pennsylvania. I would love winter a lot more if somebody was taking care of the driveway for me. That's uh, well, I, you okay. know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like the it's, work it's, ethic in the Republican caucus no, never but, ceases. Well, but I mean, look, <laughs> the, the, the very, you know, look, never kept it a secret that, you know, I've got, you know, issues with my, my legs and my ability to lift things. And, um, you know, as a result of, of my cancer from years ago and like, it's a constant worry that like, you know, I go out there and, um, you know, as a man, I want to go and take care of the driveway and make sure everything's clean clean off everybody's snowblower i have i have a snowblower okay. but you know still nonetheless it's um it's just a pain and the kids aren't old enough yeah i mean yeah. well dawson's starting to yeah dawson's not shoveling snow he's not even picking up his toys uh, oh, guess what guess, guess what in the topper household those teenage boys are shoveling snow yeah, baby. i mean and um, it's awesome but it's still winter is still like i know the snow can be annoying but there's still something about, especially Christmas time. I've always said, if it could just snow one time, yeah, like that's fair that, that snow on Christmas Eve that just lightly covers the ground, I really, I really enjoy it. And uh, so there we go. We're gonna, we're gonna make Pennsylvania tourism great again. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we'll leave it at that, folks. Um, all right. Well, uh, this has been generally assembled for this week. Uh, pre-game. For, the pre-game. Yeah, the pre-game. Budget. The pre-game episode of uh, Generally Assembled for Representative Topper. I'm Jason Gottesman. You can always find this podcast for all of your favorite. Republican podcast are found www.pahousegop.com slash my podcasts. All right, that's generally assembled. We'll be back again. <laughs>